0: you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 3, reading verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple and asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him.
1: This is Acts three, eleven through 16.
2: I'm going to read Acts three seventeen to 26. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But for what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. And those who have come after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Acts 4, 1-4. through 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests... And the captain of the temple and the Sadducees Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000.
3: In Jerusalem, A.D. 30, Jesus died on the cross, resurrected on the third day, and then ascended into heaven. Before his ascension, Jesus appeared to his disciples to prepare them for the work to come. He told the twelve apostles about the coming power they would receive, and with that, their mission began. Fifty days after Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles, causing them to speak in tongues. The Spirit gave them power, purpose, and a plan. Out of joy, the church was born. Empowered by the Spirit, Peter then gave his first sermon to the people gathered there, and 3,000 hearts were transformed. They heard the gospel message, received it in their hearts, and repented from their sin. They walked in unity and garnered praise. Out of joy, the gospel creates community. And out of joy, the church continues to multiply today. God calls all Christians to spread the good news of the gospel. Just as the Holy Spirit gave power to the disciples, that same Spirit gives us the power to live out our calling. Our purpose lies in becoming witnesses. Witnesses in our homes, in our cities, in our nation, and to the ends of the earth. Out of joy, the church multiplies.
4: Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are in the process of studying through the book of Acts, just getting kind of started, part 5 today, uh, with the study of this 28th chapter Book And we're beginning to see the outline of the book as it's given there in Acts 1 verse 8 unfold in the life of the ecclesia of God. Uh, The outline kind of goes this way. You'll receive power. We've seen that part, right? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, power came. And then you will be my witnesses, and it says, in Jerusalem. That's where we are right now. We've seen the beginnings of that there on the day of Pentecost as witness was given in the city, and 3,000 were saved. Today, we're still in Jerusalem, and we'll, we'll see God at work there in Jerusalem. And then as you move through the book of Acts, Paul, uh, Luke moves into different sections of the book by, by virtue of this verse. He begins then to discuss the work of the Spirit through the church in all Judea, and then finally toward the end of the book, even to the end of the earth, specifically through the ministry of Paul. And so we're making our way through the book book of Acts under this heading, Acts. Jesus' gospel gathering for gospel... Going. Jesus gospel gathering for gospel going. If you take the whole book of Acts and boil it down, what you can say very simply is it's about the work of God through his church, right? If you've ever read the book of Acts, you know it's all about the church and the people of God, the new covenant people of God, and so we're calling this this ecclesia, the word is actually there in the, in, the, in the Greek. It's not the word church. That, there's no building referred to when that word comes up. It really has the idea of Jesus' gospel gathering. We're owned by him, saved by him. We're gathered for gospel going. And today, we're continuing to see the life of his ecclesia as it grows in the city of Jerusalem. Now, our text for this morning, which has already been read to you, teaches us about... Miracles and the power of our resurrected Savior. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. From Acts chapter 3 verse 1 through chapter 4 verse 4. Miracles and the power of our resurrected Savior. But here's the one truth I want you to catch. If you don't get anything else, catch this. Miracles reveal the power of our resurrected Savior and illustrate our salvation in Him. When it's all said and done, the miracles are about you and me looking to Jesus, fixing our eyes more firmly and confidently on him. So miracles reveal the power of our resurrected Savior and they illustrate our salvation in him. This miracle of, of which you've heard already this morning in Acts chapter 3, the healing of the lame man by Peter and John there in the temple, uh, probably about... Three in the afternoon. This is the first miracle done that's recorded for us, at least, by the apostles. The first post-Jesus miracle, if you will. And it's a physical healing. It's interesting. We'll see this as we go through the book of Acts. Very often, uh, 14 healings are mentioned in the book total. Uh, that's, you, find that you find a healing in 12 out of 28 chapters. So almost half of the chapters in this book have some sort of physical healing included. And Here's what I what I hope we we part of what I hope we understand about this particular uh, miracle this morning. If we can understand this miracle, we'll find that Luke's purpose in sharing each of the miracles is in essence the same. And so, what I want to share with you today, the outline we're going to kind of walk through about this particular miracle, will really apply to all the miracles in the Book of Acts. God using these miracles for the same purposes. And so I'm borrowing Tim Keller's outline. There it is, right off the bat. This outline's not mine, totally borrowed, not plagiarized, and I'm just telling you I stole it. And so uh, as we think about this passage this morning, uh, this miracle points us in four directions. It points us in four directions. First of all, if you, uh, and, you'll, and the text will be on the screen. You can look in your Bibles, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. We see that this miracle points us upward. It points us upward to God's authentication of Jesus. This miracle points us upward to see God's authentication of Jesus. The text says, you killed the author of life. This, this sermon sounds so much like the one he preached on the day of Pentecost, doesn't it? <laughs> Pretty much, God sent him, you killed him, God raised him up, now repent. <laughs> That's the essence of, of his first two sermons at least. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect help in the presence of you all. How did God authenticate Jesus through this miracle and the raising up of this man from his lameness, the fact that he could walk, Peter says that shows that God sent Jesus. We didn't do this. Remember, as, as Bennett was reading earlier, it wasn't our purity or our piety. It was, this is, God didn't do this because of something in Peter and John God did this because Jesus was the Messiah and God raised him from the dead. And and God wants you Jews here in the city of Jerusalem to know this man is your Messiah. And that's why this man, this other man, is leaping and praising God all throughout the temple. And so the miracle points us upward to God's authentication of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 puts it this way. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? That's a good question for you and I to ask ourselves often. You say, I'm, I'm saved, preacher. I don't, need to, I don't need to ask myself that question. Yeah, you do. How often do you go back to the gospel? How often are you daily reminding yourself of the wonder and the greatness of your salvation? You can neglect the great salvation you have as a believer, can't you Larry? We, we, we can do that. We can, we can ignore what we have. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. That would be the apostles and, and other witnesses. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The author of Hebrews says God used things like this healing of the lame man to, to authenticate the message of the gospel in the person of Jesus Christ and to point to the greatness of Of our salvation. You see, miracles were, uh, as J.D. Greer puts it, God's divine signature that could not be forged. Uh, They made it plain that God was in this mix. We have a hard time on miracles sometimes, don't we? In 2017, in a world full of, of, of amazing scientific breakthroughs happening just over and over again, figuring all sorts of things out. And oftentimes, folks in our educated world seek to explain away the miracles, all of the supernatural, so that they can avoid the God to whom miracles point. Of course, there have been times when folks called anything they could not yet that could not yet be explained, they would just call it a miracle, right? And so instead of digging deeper scientifically to understand why and, 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 and how, and, and mainly the how of how things work, they just said, oh, that's just the hand of God. Well, of course, there's a real sense in which everything that happens is the hand of God. Amen? The Bible says Jesus upholds the world by the word of his power, and yet he does that through the laws of science, science that we can observe. He does it in regular ways, consistently, over and over. Now, again, the processes that we come to understand through science, he's behind all of that, but he works in predictable and regular ways. I think about the sunrise and the sunset. Uh, Based on the rotation of the earth, the sun rises and the sun sets, right? We can explain that. But, of course, who makes the earth rotate? Well, some scientists would say, well, there's gravity. Yes, sure there is, but why is there that? Ultimately, the hand of God's behind it all, but we understand what's happening. And with regularity, God moves these mechanisms of the universe that he's put in place and keeps going. But then there are occasions when God acts out of sync with his usual way of operating the world for the purpose of showing that he is indeed God and that if he wants to work in a way that he's not, that's not normal and regular, he, in fact, can, seeing as he did create and does sustain and will judge the whole ball of wax. Amen? And these are what we call miracles. So we're not calling miracles anything we don't understand or can't explain. We're talk, talking about these miracles that, that where, where God purposefully acts out of character with the normal flow of, of the world to make a point. The miracles of Jesus and the apostles are examples of this and are to point to the ultimate miracle and power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Was that not the ultimate miracle? The miracle before us points upward. And is God's authentication that Jesus is the resurrected Savior of the world. Now, somebody's sitting there thinking right now, does God still work miracles? Aren't you? Yeah. Well, the answer is yes, and we have to be brief. Come back tonight. We'll talk more about this in our, in our Bible study at 6 o'clock. Scripture nowhere teaches that God has quit doing miracles. However, I think we should expect miracles most often in the context in which we find them in Scripture, specifically where we find them in the Book of Acts. Where is that? You might ask. Well, we see miracles as God's authentication of the gospel of Jesus to people who have yet, who have not yet heard of Him. Most often, and it's what we see in the Book of Acts. Uh, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Uh, the, the witness would go in concentric circles out from Jerusalem. And every time it went to a different layer mentioned in Acts 1-8, we see sort of a, a, a concentration of miracles. We, we see sort of a concentration of supernatural activity, authenticating Christ as the Savior sent from God. And so I think today we should expect the very same thing. You say, well, you know, there's, there's, I mean... All of, all of all of America is reached yes it is and so i think what we and we hear this we hear reports from from the muslim world where, where god is on the move by the way the church in, the church of jesus christ is growing faster in the nation of iran think about what i'm saying than anywhere else in the world it's multiplying And God, there as we hear reports from missionaries and those who are working undercover in these places where it's illegal to be a Christian or a missionary or any of that, we hear God, we hear how God is even uh, as, as as mentioned in the prophets, giving visions and, and and encouraging people in advance of the gospel coming to them. There's someone coming with the gospel, and and they're. The missionaries get there, the Christians who go underground to take the gospel to these people. They get there only to find that God has made them ready and they're they're sitting on the edge of their seats just ready to hear what they've got to say. Now, that's a miracle. (laughs) That's something supernatural going on. Is that real? Absolutely. Why, why, Why? Tell me your problem with that. They're not being saved by the vision. They're being saved by the gospel that comes. Is Jesus not powerful? Is he not alive enough today to appear to someone in a Muslim nation who, who is struggling and under the just the, the demonic oppression of Islam and, and, and prepare them for the gospel? Sure he is. And so I think we should expect this most often in those type places as the gospel goes to the unreached. And yet I believe God will sometimes act in miraculous ways, perhaps physical healing even, in answer to the prayers of his people for his own glory. Have you ever seen God answer prayer in a supernatural way here? Scripture nowhere tells us it will only be this way. In fact, we see listed in letters to churches, like the Corinthian church, we see listed their gifts of healing. So can it be? I think it can. I don't think it often is in our context, but I think it can be for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, we can differ on that if, if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but I'm a cessationist. If you don't know what that word means, it doesn't matter. Because <laughs> I don't believe it anyway, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you may say you're a, that was just a joke. You may say you're a cessationist, and you know, I, I, I just don't believe that. Okay, that's fine, that's fine. I mean, bottom line is, we still agree about what the text before us today says and does in the, in the big plan of God. And so, as we think about this authentication of God, the, the miracle here in this, in this passage pointing us upward to see God's authentication of Jesus as the resurrected Savior of the world. Listen to verses 22 and 23 again of chapter 3. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Can you imagine that what, something Moses said are y'all with me? We're way back in the beginning of the Old Testament. And Moses, we're told here, said something that applied to what happened when the dude got healed and was able to walk after the, sometime after Pentecost happened in Acts chapter 3. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. Who's he talking about? Who's the prophet that he's talking about? Okay, now this is not rocket science. Moses is talking about Jesus. And he says, here's the deal. God's going to send a prophet. Long time from me. And when he comes, you need to listen to him. Because as verse 23 says, it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And here's the bottom line. Is that not the gospel we preach? There is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. If you reject the gospel, you reject your only hope of salvation and relationship and eternity with God. There is no forgiveness or remission of sins apart from the shed blood of Jesus Christ and and your personal trust in him. If you don't listen to him, you will be destroyed. And so the question before we get too deep into this message is this, are you listening to him? Are you listening to Jesus? Do you trust Him as your only hope before a holy God? Do you trust Him as your resurrected and reigning Savior today? Hear me, if you don't, do not ignore His voice. Even as He speaks right now by the Holy Spirit of God, do not ignore His voice. The Bible says, Moses told us thousands of years before Jesus would ever come, you listen to Him. Because if you don't listen to Him, you will be destroyed. There's one way of salvation. His name is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. Please listen to Jesus. I I plead with you. I beg you. And if you're not convinced, please see me. I want to try to persuade you, as Paul would say. I want to persuade you that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God, the only Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And So this miracle points us upward to God's authentication of Jesus. Secondly, it points us forward to the future restoration. Verse 21, speaking of Jesus, it says, Whom heaven must receive, and that speaks of Jesus ascending to heaven and being there now whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. What's he saying? Jesus has ascended to heaven, and that's heaven will hold Jesus. He'll, He'll stay there in heaven until it's time for him to come back and restore all things, remake all things. Have you ever read Revelation 21 and 22 about the new heaven and new earth? That's what he's talking about right here. And he's saying, until that day comes, heaven will, will hold Jesus. And when Jesus comes back, by the way, this should inform your eschatology. We're not going to get off into it, but just think about it. And until Jesus comes back, things won't be recreated. But when he comes back, things will be restored. All things will be restored. You see, this miracle points us forward to the future restoration. Isn't that that a comfort to know that things are not always going to be like they are now? Aren't you thankful for that? If you're a believer in Christ, you have that hope. You will live in the new heavens and the new earth if you know Jesus. You will live in that world restored to its original design and perfection and beauty and glory. The Jews there in Jerusalem would have recognized this healing as the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. In Isaiah 35, 5-7, through seven, listen to this. Speaking of these, these days, the, 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 the time of, of Christ, the time of the gospel, it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. By the way, at that point, the, the eyes of the blind had already been opened, hadn't they? Jesus had already healed the blind man. Then shall the lame man... listen? Do what? What does it say? Look at the screen. Leap. How does Luke describe the man after he got healed? Did he kind of just ease up and start slipping around? No, it says he jumped up and leaped. Direct fulfillment of prophecy, they would have heard this. They would have heard Isaiah's words here. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water, and the haunt of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. Of course, some of that looking even further past these days to the end times, to the very last days, and to the recreation of all things. Isaiah would later write, and explain how all this works in Isaiah 53 verse 5. He says, by his wounds we are healed. How is it that the lame leap? How is it that the blind see? It's through the, the wounds of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and his victory over sin and death. And all the effects of, of the curse. By his wounds we are healed. That's why Peter could say, it ain't us, it's Jesus' power, his wound healing power, his resurrection power. You see, if he can raise the dead, can he, can he heal people? I mean, just think about it. If he, if he can raise a dead man, can't he fix living men, right? And that's what he does throughout the book of Acts. Isaiah 11 gives us one of the most beautiful pictures of the future restoration of all things. Isaiah 11:6 through 9, it's on the screen. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the whole of the, the whole of the cobra. And the winged child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And what a day that will be. It's going to happen. We will live in the new heavens and the new earth. The glory of God will cover the the world as 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 the waters cover the sea. And all will be peace. And all will be right. All will be restored fully to God's original design. Even the beauty of the garden and the harmony of the garden of Eden. You see, that's the future that we have to look forward to in the new heavens and the new earth. Tim Keller writes: Miracles are not. Think about this. Miracles are not a suspension of the natural order, but a return to the natural order, the original natural order. Jesus' healings are the only natural things in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. What's Tim Keller saying? We talked about while well, go laws of nature. This sounds like he's saying something different. No, he's he's looking back to the garden. God's natural design was the garden, right? Sin's what messed it all up. Sin's what brought about death under the judgment of holy God. God created a perfect world where everything was in glorious harmony. It was Adam and Eve's sin that brought about the brokenness we live in now. The miracles we see are glimpses, advanced installments of the restored state of all things that will come at Jesus' return. So maybe thinking and asking the question in your mind, does this mean that anyone who trusts Jesus will be healed? This is also not rocket science. The answer is no (laughs) and yes. Not necessarily now, but yes, ultimately. Amen? And finally, in the final restoration and full restoration of all things. But in the here and now, no. The healings, as we see throughout the book, were sovereignly distributed signs. God heals who and when he so chooses for his purposes and glory in the big picture plan he's unfolding in our world. He didn't heal every person in Judea. Peter didn't heal every person in the temple that day. And so it doesn't mean that everyone who trusts God will, in fact, be healed now. But what it does mean is that all suffering and pain are temporary. And for those of us who know Jesus, we will one day be released into the perfect perfection and harmony of the final restoration. Of all things, how many of you are familiar with a lady named Johnny Erickson Tata? Raise your hand. Johnny Erickson Tata. Many of you. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata is probably at this point. I have no idea, but I'm going to guess in her early to mid 50s. She's a quadriplegic, and she became that way after a diving accident as a young lady. All of her adult life, in essence, she has been in a wheelchair, unable to 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 really function from the from the neck down. Can move her arms just a little bit. She draws beautiful paintings with a pencil in her mouth. It's amazing. Look her up. Johnny Erickson Tata. She spent her life as a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. Here's what she says as she looks ahead to the future restoration of all things. At that great marriage supper of the Lamb, the first thing I think I'll do on resurrected legs is fall to my glorified knees and praise the God of resurrection and healing. And then I'll stand and dance before him with all my might. I I guess I get a little emotional because I've read her stuff through the years and wondered, even as a young boy, wondered how can she be so full of joy? You know how she could be so full of joy? You know, you, you, you might say... How could she be so full of joy? God hadn't healed her. She's still in that chair. She has to hold a a, a pencil with her teeth if she wants to draw. How can she be so full of joy in Christ? Because she is convinced that a risen Christ will get her to the final restoration and that she'll dance like she could never dance here on earth, that she'll have legs better than she could have ever had here on earth, and she believes it with all of her heart. This miracle points us forward to the future restoration. But in order to have this hope for your future, you must understand this next truth. This miracle not only points us upward and forward, it points us inward to our soul's need of salvation. Verses 19 and 20 and also verse 26, Peter preaching says, Repent therefore. Remember what he told him: You killed the author of life. God sent a Savior and you killed him. But God raised him up. And there's hope for you if you will repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Verse 26. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first. Speaking to the Jews of Jerusalem. To bless you by turning every one of you from your Wickedness. How merciful God is. How great a salvation He sent through Him, through, through His Son Jesus. First to the Jews, as we see here, and then to us as Gentiles. Repent and turn back. The miracle points us inward to our soul's need for salvation, that your sins may be blotted out. It's the same verb for blotted out. There's that same verb used over in Revelation when it talks about how, how God will wipe every tear. He, God wipes away your sin. He wipes it out when you repent and turn to Christ. As bad as physical suffering is, a sin sick, a condemned by holy God soul is much worse. And as great as physical healing in this life for a few more years of health is, there's something greater, the salvation of your soul forever. And that's what Peter preached as soon as the lame man was healed. Here's what it's really all about, Jerusalem. It's not about a a, a man who's been there for 40 years walking. It's about Jesus who caused him to walk and who doesn't just want to fix your body. He wants to cure your sin-sick soul. He wants to save. What is important to notice all throughout the book of Acts is that it is soul salvation that is the real miracle and the must have treasure of our hearts. You know, the lame man who leaped up and walked that day, here's just the hard, cold truth. He was physically healed that day, he leapt, he walked like he'd never done. But you know, the truth about that guy is eventually he got old or sick, or both. And he could no longer walk or leap. And he died. And they buried his body. You see, forgiveness of sin, peace, Intimacy and friendship with God, these things last forever and can never be taken away from us. They are our eternal inheritance in Jesus. This miracle points inward to our soul's need for salvation. Have you trusted Jesus as your only hope and Savior? Finally, we learn something about how things go when God is using us. As his people, as his ecclesia, his gospel gathering for gospel going for his glory in this world. We learn how things go for us in this last point. Fourthly, this morning, the miracle points downward. Downward to the humility and oftentimes the suffering we must endure when God is at work. You heard it in Acts 1. Four, verses 1-4 through four, that Chris read right before we came to preach. It says, as they were speaking to the people, while they were still preaching the message that we've been scanning through this morning, right after the healing, Peter's explaining to them about Jesus and their need for Him as their Savior. He's calling them to repent. As they were speaking to the people, listen to this, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed Here's what you're going to do to people when you live for the glory of Christ. Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees, in particular, didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead of anybody, much less Christ. Verse 3, and they they arrested them. That is Peter and John. And put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And then I love verse 4. Listen to what it says. But... But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men, just the men, came to about 5,000. All right, so y'all stay with me. How many up to this point that we know of, how many people were in this church? Stay with me. I've been been giving it to you a chunk at a time. 3,000 and how many else? There's more. Loud, I can't hear good. 3,120 at least, right? We know those, that many. It went from three. Uh, right here it goes from 3,120 to 5,000 men. Now I'm tempted to believe that the 3,000 uh, 3, saved on the day of Pentecost were just men, that that's what they counted, even though it doesn't say that. So even if it's not, that's, that's, that's amazing. 2,000 more. Now here's what I want you to understand. There was no altar call or extended invitation given at the end of this Baptist message that Peter preached. Did you see that? 2,000 more men were simply changed by the power of the gospel preached. And furthermore, the preachers, by the way, they couldn't give an invitation. They were being dragged off to jail while God himself was saving those 2,000 men. Plus, I believe, women and children. Who knows how many? Now, the whole city of Jerusalem would have known this lame man who was healed. Acts 4, verse 22, if you look in your Bibles there, says he was over 40 years old and he'd been there just his whole life. That's all he'd ever known. He couldn't walk, he couldn't work. So what he did he do? He got carried to the temple and he begged for enough to live on day after day. They would have known him. You would think that the leaders in the temple would have celebrated. They walked past the same guy for, for 30, 40 years. Nope. They are, as the text says, greatly annoyed. And they throw Peter and John in prison. By the way, the miracles and acts always get the miracle workers in trouble. Oftentimes, when God is at work changing lives, in this case, at least 2,000 more men trusted Jesus, his servants, his ecclesia, will be suffering. You need to know that because that's you, that's me. It was true of Jesus. He raised Lazarus from the dead, and the text says from that point on, they determined to kill him. Tim Keller says by taking Lazarus out of the grave, he put himself in the grave. Philippians 1, verses 29 to 30, Paul tells us straight up and down what to expect in the Christian life. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. We're always on that, aren't we? trust Jesus, trust Jesus, believe in him, follow him, trust him, trust him, trust him, but also suffer for his sake. Paul says it's been granted to you. Two things. If you want to know Jesus, if you want to be one of his, if you want to be part of the family, part of the ecclesia, trust him and suffer for him. It's your privilege. It's it's what's granted to you. It's God's gift to you to trust Jesus, and to suffer for him. Paul says, "Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. Paul said, we're all in this together. And if you, if you live godly in Christ Jesus from Timothy's, the letter to Timothy, you will suffer persecution. As J.D. Greer says, sometimes you suffer and you're like, God, why am I going through this? Have I done something wrong? There could be an occasion where you have, and maybe that's why. God, as your Father, is disciplining you. It could be that. But, you know, so often the answer is no. Answer's answer is no. If God looks at you and says, no, I've got a bigger purpose for this. Your suffering is going to bring people to me. How you suffer is going to show them that you have a joy in Jesus that goes beyond the pleasures of this life or the pain of the, uh, of the grave. Your suffering is not about your sin, but my glory. God's purpose in it is not punitive for you, but redemptive for others. And then remember this statement by J.D. Greer. The healing of the world comes through the sacrificial death of the church. How will the world be reached? Well, it won't be by God. Lives of ease on my part and yours. How will the nations, the unreached, be reached? You know how they'll be reached? They'll be reached when 24-year-old couples like Clint, Nashland, Teal say, you know what we're going to do with the rest of our lives? We're going to leave the American dream behind and we're going to go to Papua New Guinea and raise at this point just two kids in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, so people who would never otherwise have an opportunity to hear the gospel can hear. That's what we're going to do for the gospel. That's what it takes in the design of your father for the nations to hear. It takes whatever discomfort I have to go through to share with that person in my life that doesn't know Jesus, that co-worker you have, whatever inconvenience, whatever bother, whatever Opposition even that you have to endure. To share with that relative who who doesn't want to talk about Jesus. It's it's like Second Corinthians 4, 7 to 12 says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, Paul said, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. in short we have to suffer and even perhaps die the bible the bible says in revelation there is a number of martyrs that must come in what does that mean god has a certain number of his people who must die for the gospel before the world's done before the witness of the church is finished it's just his plan and if that bothers you go to the text don't believe me don't take my word for it even though unless i've showed you in the text <laughs> Go to the text. It's all through the New Testament. What Paul is saying is, it's through our suffering and even dying that others can come. Even as we imitate Jesus, right? Who suffered when he was here. Who died because of what he said. As we imitate him and live that same way, that's how the world will know his life. And here's the thing, Jesus would say it this way, y'all not fear the ones who can kill your body. Fear the one who can kill your body and then your soul in hell forever. Here's the awesome thing for us. What if they kill me? What happens to the souls of the martyrs? They're given a special place in heaven. They die, but but they never die. Their bodies are destroyed, but they live forever. The worst that can happen is these tents get taken away. Two things. Do we really believe that we can't be killed? Ultimately, that this life we know in Christ is everlasting. That he's got our souls. That we'll make it home. And do we really believe those people who don't yet know him... Will really bust hell wide open and be destroyed forever. What does that mean? How are you destroyed forever? I don't know, but it's not good. It's awful. Do we really believe that? Because, see, here's the thing. If we really believe that, we can give up our comfort, our convenience. We can lay our life down if it's necessary to get the gospel to someone who doesn't have Jesus. Because in our death, we live. And because of our death, perhaps they too will live. Jim and his friends took were taking the gospel to the Alka Indians. You know the story, many of you do. Find a book by Elizabeth Elliot called Through the Gates of Splendor and read it. It'll, it'll just bless your heart. They made all preparations. They go to this remote tribe, savage tribe. They go, they listen to me. They go, they land on the beach, and that's as far as they ever got never said a word, they died right there. They got killed, slaughtered right there. You say, how stupid could you be? In the providence of God, some of their own family members would later go back. They would get into this tribe, and that slaughter had never left the consciences of the tribe. And the whole tribe came to know Jesus. And today the sons and daughters of those missionaries are friends with the sons and daughters of the murderers of their fathers. That's the power of the gospel. That's what we're called to. This miracle points downward to the humility and oftentimes suffering we must endure when God is at work. Are you willing to be used by God for his glory and the advance of the gospel even if suffering is required? Are we? Well, as we said at the beginning, miracles reveal the power of our resurrected Savior, and they
0: illustrate our salvation in Him. Let's pray together.